When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Uh, so what happens? He sticks the egg in the chalice and... Trumpets and fanfare and creepy anorak behind him saying, You've won. What's up? <laughs> Right, and there's this huge dialogue in the book that is Anorak basically giving a tutorial. I mean, that's what this is. This is onboarding for a god, for a digital <laughs> god. Isn't it? Congratulations, you've won. And uh, by the way, you've got godly powers now. Yes, yes, you do. And go on. Well, what, what do you say if someone asks you if you're a god? You say yes. Say yes! All right. But, uh... It... Two chapters in a row. <laughs> uh... But he's basically going, hey, this is your castle now. And, you know, only your avatar can come in this room. And I did it so that you've got access to this little thing over here. And it's the Staples Easy button. I did not relate this to the Staples Easy button, even though I could, I could totally see why that would be the case. A big red button? Uh, that was like the first thing I thought of was like a big fucking red button. I've never owned one. Have you ever watched the cartoon Ren and Stimpy? No. So Red and Stimpy was this, this just, I don't want to say rude, and it wasn't exactly gross, but it was... Wasn't it crude? It was pretty crude, yes, right? crude is a good way of putting it. It was a very crude cartoon that Nickelodeon ran. And the guy that, that wrote this cartoon, and I guess he drew for it as well, the ideas he came up with just always sort of came to that line that Nickelodeon was like, you know this is for kids, right? Like, this is the shit you'd see on... Not Cartoon Network, maybe Cartoon Network. I, I don't. It, it crude is the best way to put it. So like nowadays you've got you've got crude cartoons all day long. But in the early '90s, late '80s, this was a very crude cartoon. And there was one episode that had a shiny red button. So do a search really quick for Red and Stimpy, red button. Oh, there it is. And then click on the video. Video. History eraser. Uh huh. So this doesn't break my internet. I have a minute and a half long video here. Now listen, cadet. I've got a job for you. See this button? Don't touch it! It's the history eraser button, you fool! So what'll happen? That's just it. We don't know. Maybe something bad. Maybe something good. I guess we'll never know. 
because you're going to guard it. You won't touch it, will you? <laughs> All right, now he's guarding the button. <laughs> oh, how long can trusty Cadet Stimpy hold out? How can he possibly resist the diabolical urge to push the button that could erase his very existence? Will his tortured mind give in to its uncontrollable desires? Can he withstand the temptation to push the button that even now beckons him ever closer? Will he succumb to the maddening urge to eradicate history at the mere push of a single button? The beautiful, shiny button! The jolly, candy-like button! Will he hold out, folks? Can he hold out? Tune in next week as All done That's your sound bite (laughs) Can he hold out the shiny red button The candy red button (laughs) So he introduces him to this big fucking button That'll erase the the oasis And that that is the first That that is the first thing that came to mind And then it's like tune in next week So it's it's awfully tempting to have this. I I do between the book and the movie. I really liked that moment when he's showing him the button on the wall, and of course, you know the truck that Parzival is in is swerving, trying to avoid Sorrento, who is who is basically basically trading paint with their truck, banging into it right, and and he falls forward. It almost pushes the button. Yeah, yeah. Try, try not to press that <laughs> on your first <laughs> on your day first or whatever. Day, the line yeah, is. don't fuck it all up on your first day, though. Uh, so I, that's that is the first thing that came to my mind was that red and stimpy temptation of the shiny red button. So we we were on two different polls on that one. Mm-hmm. I was going for something really stupid and you know harmless, and you went for something that was stupid, stupid, <laughs> not. Unsure whether it was harmless or not. Right. I think it is interesting that if you present a means to get rid of it all, that Halliday had in mind that at some point maybe his creation would be a bad thing or could be. It could be necessary to just obliterate it all. And if you can imagine, if you can imagine that uh, needing to bake in an override button to destroy your. Your creation. I mean, this was his baby. That would be like ha- having a child that you know was going to take over the world, but you didn't know whether or not that was a good or bad thing. So you bake in an instant kill for your kid. <laughs> it's a set of words that basically would turn your child off at some point in his life or her but, life. But at the last second, you get killed and you don't get to hit the button. Uh-huh. And then. And then they get to fulfill the prophecy of destroying the world. Well, or you pass that on to somebody else. By the way, if if my kid gets out of hand, just say this word and I'll knock him out. Well, have you ever seen the movie The Omen? I've not seen The Omen. So, uh, well, it, maybe. Well, if I remember correctly, it's a very similar thing where the, the guy who, I guess, who's the father of Damien finds out that he actually is the devil or whatever he's got the tattoo and then right as he's about to kill him 
he gets shot. And then the kid gets adopted by some political family. And that's how the kid is going to be, like, taking over the, the world or something like that. It was some weird thing. I probably got that all wrong, but it's something like that. Spoilers, by the way. I think it's. I think we're well past spoilers on that one. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. No, but, but it's really creepy because the end of that movie, you probably can find a clip of this. Uh, there's the funeral scene, I think, for the father who was trying to kill the kid. And the kid is, you know, like, he's got a, his hands are being held by this political family. And the camera kind of zooms in on the kid. And it slowly starts to grin at the camera. Like, everything is coming into plan. Like, whoa. Like one of those things. Yeah. <sighs> that might be one of those movies that we have to watch. Because I've I've not seen it, I've not seen it, and that is one of those. I guess that is a is that a seventies or an eighties film? I believe it's seventy, or at least the original was in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Probably right around the same time that uh, like Exorcist and stuff were coming out, like those those movies that were coming out like left and right. Mm-hmm. Exorcist I've seen many times, never been scared by it. Gotcha. So back to back to the book. What book? It's, it's, oh, right. right. The book that we're yeah, about yeah. to finish. It's, it's, now I'm pulling it back in. So he, he ends with this sort of one last message where, where he kind of explains that the real world is, is really what you need to focus on occasionally. And that for his entire life, right up until, it was, until he knew it was ending, that he didn't quite have that locked in. Like he didn't fully understand that fact. And at the, at sort of at the very end, there's that sort of terrifying, as he puts it, terrifying and painful as reality can be. It's the only place where you can find true happiness, which in the movie it was, it's the only place where you can get a good hamburger, which <laughs> I, I thought was kind of a cheesy way, but but honestly to say true happiness is rough, but you, you can say that you could find is true happiness. Is that what he said in the movie? I haven't watched the movie in a while. It's the only place where you can get a good hamburger. Which is it's thought, kind of a funny way of saying it's the place where you can find true happiness. So the hamburger is very visceral; it's very real, and you can't eat but, in the oasis. You can order food. That, well, that's like the Groucho Marx uh, quote. I've never been crazy about reality, but it's the only place to get a decent meal. I did. I did not know that that was a Groucho Groucho Marx. Uh, I did. It's like the beginning. Of, it's like at the beginning of level two. Level level two or level three starts with that quote from Groucho Marx. Interesting. Okay, so maybe they worked that into the movie, or maybe I'm just remembering the movie the movie incorrectly. I don't remember that being in the movie. I, th- I thought he's. Hold on, hold on a second. Let me just let me just pop. I'm sure that there is a quote in IMDb. Only place to get a decent hamburger. I think you're misremembering it because I don't think that quote is in the movie. Maybe. Uh... Yeah, maybe I missed. Maybe I am remembering it wrong. Maybe he said meal, and I just interpreted that as the hamburger. <laughs> I don't think he says meal. Well, I don't think he said. I don't think he said it like he said it in the book. I could have sworn he said hamburger. Let me do it. Trying to just watch that scene on YouTube. Because I hate it when the reality in my mind is not a reflection of real. I gotta try to find that line now. We know what you did here. You turn around and walk out of here while you still can.
I love all these people have all this courage and like you're not getting in here and then they, he takes out a gun it's like uh, never but mind. you are getting in here yeah yeah go ahead yeah i i created the oasis because i never felt at home in the real world i just didn't know how to connect with the people there i was afraid for all of my life right up until the day i knew my life was ending and that that was when i realized that as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's also the, on the only place that you can get a decent meal. Because reality is real. You understand what I'm saying? No, he does. He says decent meal. You're right on. For some reason, I put an hamburger. <laughs> that is a Groucho Marx quote, and that's right from the book. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. But not exactly what he says at the end of the book. So there's a slight difference there, but I like the fact that they incorporated the, the Groucho Marx bit, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. I mean, the Marx Brothers were awesome. Yeah. And I, I've not seen a whole lot of that, surprisingly. So. Ah, oh, it is so great. So through all of this, the back of my mind is wondering, what would this scene have been like if Sorrento had gotten to this point? Well, th I think the answer is simple. What? It wouldn't have got to that point. Because as soon as he showed him the red button, he'd have hit it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wow. Hold on a second. Why do, you, why do you think he would have hit it? The weird fanfic. His whole motivation was to destroy the Oasis. And he knew about the red button. So as soon as he knew where the red button was, Halliday wouldn't have had a chance to explain to him, you know, have one of these moments. He would have just hit the red button right away. I always envisioned this as sort of a, an answering machine recording that Halliday left in the VR. You know, that once you've triggered this thing, he would show up, he would give you the walkthrough and he would respond to you. But for the most part, all of this would be the same, right? It'd be this sort of description of, eh, nah, nah. and I can just imagine Sorrento being whatever old man and just kind of walking past him and looking around. But I get the fanfic to start with would have been I'm going to destroy the whole fucking thing. But what if along the path, because that's early on, this turns into something else for him? Because you got to keep in mind, mm -hmm. here is Sorrento. He works for IOI. He doesn't own IOI. He is an employee. He's high up, but his ass could get fired, right? And his leverage now, if he had gotten to this point, is he could do anything. He could basically blackmail everyone. He could get everything he wants. He could take over IOI. He would own the world's source of revenue. And with just the push of a button, he could destroy it all. Give me what I want or I will destroy everything. Like the amount of leverage that a person would have with this kind of power is remarkable. And in the wrong hands could have been taken down a very dark place. So I could see a version of this where Sorrento is like, okay, IOI, we need to negotiate. I am now going to be the CEO of IOI, and if you don't give me what I want, I will destroy your business by destroying the Oasis, the one thing that nearly half of the world uses to make money and pays you to get internet service. Uh, based on what we know or what the motivation for uh, Sorrento from the fanfic. You think he would just push the button? Fuck it. Push he the would button. have just pushed the button because he, 
I don't think he would have had that moment where it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can make make things better off for me. It's like, no, he he's he's out for revenge. He's out for his motivations are very clear. He's kind of maniacal in that way. So I would I would posit that as soon as he saw the red button, he's lunging forward and and he's ending it all. Yeah, I can I can see a very a very callous. Thanks, old man. Boom, pop the button. Even before he even finishes his little spiel, whatever. Boop, red button. Everything. Now, what dead. would be cool is if Halliday's avatar like snatched his hand up and said, "Oh no, you don't. <laughs> oh no, you didn't. Not yet. Wait till tomorrow. <laughs> give it a give it a day. Rest on that thought. Give it a day. But I mean, the fact that he's the only one that had have access to that room and that button is a uh, is a, an enormous amount of of power and leverage. Over the sure. world, it's you're, you're instantly the most powerful person in the world, and and it's this is a pure example of how it's not just monetarily. Like if you killed everyone, if you shut down the oasis, it, it, all that money is gone. It's it's like ruining the banking system, the banking institution, any all all entertainment, everything, learning, education, gone, gone. Everything used to make civilization civil at this point, gone. So the only way I, I would see it playing out like he would have a little bit of doubt would be if we got to see some of the behind the scenes stuff that was going on. Like m- maybe there's a story where he kind of does get to see some of the positives of the Oasis and he does have that sense of doubt. But based on what we know, I think he's pushing the button. It's over. It's done. And the world gets totally fucked over because everything that makes the world what it is is gone. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a a distinct difference of which emotion would rule. Would it be the the need for vindictive revenge or ultimate greed and power? Which one would it, would play more, more powerfully for this character? And based on what Ernest Klein has said now is canon. Uh, based on that 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 story about Sorrento, I could see it going either way. I could see it starting with 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 revenge, and eating ending with greed and power. There has to be some evolution in that storyline, you know. Like, you know, if he if he becomes the protagonist of that story, mm-hmm. he needs to have some way of developing, and maybe that development is going from like a one track mind. I'm going to destroy the Oasis to. Maybe the Oasis isn't that bad, but here's what I'm going to use this power to make things better. Yeah. Yeah. Because if he destroys the Oasis, that's a death sentence for him. He will have destroyed society and people would come after his ass and not just throw him in jail. He'd be a dead man. Yeah. But, but he seems to have accepted that. Well, like maybe it, it's kind of like uh, someone's going to fall on the sword for everybody else. And, you know, we saw Parzival willing to you know, to fall on his sword so that the rest of the high five could get into the gate, you know, maybe that's Sorrento's way of saying, I'm going to fall on my sword so that humanity can have their, can be, go back to what it used to be and not just sitting with their visors on and not being in reality. In some ways, Sorrento wants what what Halliday is telling Parzival to do is don't get stuck inside here. Enjoy reality because reality is real. Right. Right. I hate to equate the two of them because they are so very different, but they, uh, their end game is somewhat similar. 
Right, right. And it's interesting because uh, have you, you've seen Batman, right? The Dark Knight? Yes. So there's this moment where, where Bruce Wayne is, is talking with Alfred, and, and Alfred makes a really poignant comment where he says, some men just like to watch the world burn. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport, because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And you, you think to yourself, well, okay, that's that is an interesting thing to say, but, you know, that doesn't really tell you why. And I guess they were kind of trying to drill into why would a person do this? And Alfred says, well, some people just want to see the world burn. And in this situation, you, you get the why. I mean, the end result is he wants to see the world burn. If Sorrento hit that button, like, like, and that's definitely a motivator here, you could see the reason for that being, I just want to see the world burn for this abomination it has created and for the pain that it's inflicted in his life based on that story where his sister dies. Uh, so I could kind of, I could kind of see that. I could definitely see that he, he becomes that villain that just wants to watch the world burn. Figuring that, that that is a better alternative than the pain that he has received watching his sister die. And I love that. I love that 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 alternative story. So if, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't listen to the earlier podcast that kind of reviewed that that story by Andy Weir, uh, that is, you know, sort of this sh short story about Sorrento and how he comes into being who he is. And then was loved so much by Ernest Klein that Ernest Klein's like, you know what? That's canon. We're going to make that canon. That's beautiful. That that is a thing. I recommend you search that down and go read that because that that's really what we're referring to here. Exactly. With yeah. that in mind, <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like we need to um, move beyond this. Sure. Well, it's time to blow this pop stand. It's right. Time to time to blow this. <laughs> It's time to blow this popsicle stand, but it, it does say blow this pop stand, which I've never heard. I've never heard it referred to that way. And I'm going to be honest with you. I did some research online to figure out if there were any references to a quote unquote pop stand. And it's always been popsicle stand. It's always first off a popsicle stand is just of, of the stands that you could go to in a park. A popsicle stands kind of the shittiest stand. I mean, I mean, you've got the ice cream stand, you've got the lemonade stand, but the popsicle stand is just kind of like that second-rate frozen treat. <laughs> it's right up there with fucking ice shavings. <laughs> In my research, it seemed like it was more of a, to blow this popsicle stand, was a kind of, it was a new take on saying, we, let's blow this joint. Yes, right, let's get out of here. Let's get, let's get, let's... Let's leave this worthless place that we've. But I did. I did find two references where "Let's blow this popsicle stand" uh, show up. Well, you said "blow this popsicle stand," but does he say "Let's blow this pop stand"? 
No, it's a popsicle stand. <gasps> I could not find pop stand, but popsicle stand shows up a couple times. Was did he say blow this pop stand in the book? In the book, yes. And that's the part that struck me because this is that's like say somebody saying, uh, you know, you really shouldn't take life for granted. It's not granted; it's granted. <laughs> it's you know, it, you see what I'm saying? Like like a person could go and and mishear something. You really shouldn't take life for granted. The fucking granite. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, well, you know, like life is hard. Like granite. No, you shouldn't take life for granted. <laughs> I feel like like that's what this is. Let's go. Let's blow this pop stand. It's a popsicle stand. Nobody's selling pop. What? Well, no, pop is soda in some places. I, no, I totally get that. But you, and maybe there are stands that sell pop. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you look at it, I'm like, it's Popsicle, right? And I went online, I was like, I can't find any reference to a pop stand anywhere. It's always Popsicle stand. Because Popsicle stands were like the shittiest of, of of stands that you could go to to buy something at a park or something. Frozen sugar water. Frozen sugar water. So anyway, the two references that I found to blowing the Popsicle stand. Mm-hmm. The first one was from Mork and Mindy. Okay. Which was an, an 80s TV show. Right, right. Oh, five hundred nine. Boy, I remember when these things used to be. I forget. (laughs) Would you like to have that raft? Oh, no, thanks. I'll play it here. (laughs) How about you and me blow this popsicle stand? Where are you going? To the museum. I've never been to the museum. Come along, sweet pea. We can't keep those statues waiting. This time of year, the fig leaves begin to fall. (laughs) And then in books, it shows up in 1983 in the book by David Bischoff. And the book was called War Games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The same war games that the movie was based on. And in that book, they say, come on, let's blow this popsicle stand. Right, right, right. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Uh, and I love the reference, uh, but I wonder why. And that's this kind of goes back to the fact that Ernest Klein doesn't really make mistakes. He, he makes references that look in one direction, but really hang a left and go in a different direction. So I, I think if I was to add to the list of things, add to the list of questions, add to the list of useless questions you would ask an author about his book, it would be blow this pop stand. Did you mean popsicle stand, or are you pointing at something else? It's a dumbass question to ask, but it's just one of those references that's kind of like, did we miss something here? Did, was this a mistake, or or was he thinking pop stand? Yeah, a place like you get Coke, or is he referencing some other bit of trivia that is not obvious, that totally could be true, but it's totally not obvious, or or you'd think he meant something else. But not not to circulate too much on that, but yeah, let's... Let's let's blow past this. Let's blow this popsicle stand. Yeah, why not? So Halliday says good luck to Parzival and then thanks him for playing his game. Isn't that nice? That's kind of a cool way to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, I, I liked it. And then finally he gets to talk to the high five again. Everybody's congratulating him. And most importantly, Artemis congratulates him and he could tell that she meant it. And then I thought the interchange between um, between Parzival and Artemis about, you know, 
where he says, I couldn't have done it without you guys. And she says, yeah, remember to mention that when you talk to the media. <laughs> it's like, okay. Not bitter at all. No, not at all. <laughs> but then it becomes clear that they did not, they got to see all of that except for the red button thing. Right. Right. Which is cool. Cause that's, again, that's, that's a point of leverage. That's something he can keep in his back pocket. He doesn't have to tell anyone. It's meant to be a private and meant to be a secret. Because imagine the shitstorm if everyone knew that he could just press a button and we'd all be gone. And uh, imagine, imagine, imagine somewhere in a back office at the World Trade Center in the stock exchange, and in a back office somewhere by the stock exchange main floor, there's a button that turns off all stock exchange shit. Like, here's a button. If, if, if stocks get out of hand across the world and shit goes wrong, just press this button. It'll turn off everything and everyone will lose all of their stock data. That sounds like a bad thing. That's a bad day for everyone, for the entire fucking world to have that red button. So then imagine that, what your confidence would be like in that system if you knew there was a button that could turn it all off. It kind of makes you think about the fact that whoever was the, the winner of this contest was going to be completely random, especially considering the lack of protections on the contest. Mm-hmm. Someone like Sorrento could have won. Right, right. Just saying. No, no. It's a lot of power to give a random person. Yeah, but uh, how But well, then again, you know, th- there are some monarchies where it's just like, oh, well, you were the, the child of this monarch, therefore you are going to be the next monarch. Y- your father bred with his sister and produced you as royal lineage. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, though, if you were going to hand over something to somebody and you weren't involved in the interview process, wouldn't you want a way of dictating how that interview went? I mean, this this whole contest is like an interview for this position. It is, oh, yeah. it is I mean, sort of the Willy Wonka trying to figure out who is going to take over his factory, who wants it bad enough, and who, and who understands it. Idealistically, the contest would have filtered out the people who weren't worthy. Yeah. But yeah. You know, when when you don't put many protections on the playing of the contest, you get the IOI, you get the Sixers. Well, the contest becomes the interview, and the IOI and the Sixers is cheating the interview, is really what it is. It's as if you sat there during an interview, and the person whom you're going to be working for is asking you technical questions, and you open up your laptop and find the answers. You don't know it. You don't believe it. You don't believe in it. You're just finding the right answer to to take you to the next question that's going to take you that much closer to that job. So, yeah, I, I see it as the entire contest is a huge fucking interview. And it ensures that anybody who knows all of those questions and all of that content has gone through the laborious task of exploring everything else that is li- everything else that is in his life and ensures that the person who wins the contest is most like him or gets him. Yeah. So in theory, yeah, in theory, that is what's ensuring the credentials of the person who's going to be taking over the Oasis. Yeah. But obviously not perfect. But then again, what system is? Yeah. Someone's going to find a way to cheat the game. So, yeah. So so back to the scoreboard, which now says Parzival wins, and, which is nice. Good for Parzival. Mm-hmm. The Sixers that were in the gate trying to get the egg have been booted. They're, they're outside now. They're outside now. And then Parsville says, I'm going to do some God shit and goes out there. And this is, I always laugh when I read this part, but 
So the Sixer agents that are booted from the gates see him in the in the robes or whatever, and then their first instinct is to pull out guns and swords and start to attack, which is like, why? Why? Like, what do you think you're gonna do? So then he goes God on them and just says, "Nah, skull and crossbones done." He just waves his hand. So his first order of business is to abuse his power. Because those guns and shit, he has unlimited life. He is untouchable. There is nothing they could fire at him that is going to kill him. You know? I'm surprised (laughs) he's not sitting there writing a macro saying that any Sixer that spawns gets instantly killed. Oh, where like he snaps his finger and the IOI planet evaporates. Exactly. should have gone for the head. Turns to dust. So he becomes kind of like the benevolent Thanos of the Oasis. So, so pretty cool power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Nothing to- however, what I found is, is that it, initially he says, you know, you've got all these godlike powers. Anything you can imagine, it'll do for you. And then he's like, the first thing I'd like to do is resurrect people. Okay, hold on a second. Let me type in the name. Uh, A-E-A-C-A. Okay, that's H, right? Uh, Artemis. Ah, oh, fuck it. There's a three in there, isn't there? Um... <laughs> <laughs> he has to type in their names to put on the list for restoring before hitting the button and doing resurrection complete. Well, I mean, to be fair, there are variations on names. You would want to confirm their names. Well, fine. But what if I'm like, you know what? I want to return the Oasis to what it was. I want to resurrect everyone who was killed in the last three hours. I think then the, then it's going to know, like... You say, if someone who's died in the last three hours, just bring him back. But I think that's an interesting question here. We could guess that he would do that, but what if he doesn't? Or I guess the question is, should he resurrect everybody? Well, what kind of dick move would that be? Everybody came out because you as Parzival said, come out, help me defeat these assholes. And then Parzival has the power to resurrect everyone who sacrificed themselves during this giant-ass battle. And he doesn't? We know he doesn't do that in this book. Well, we know that it doesn't mention that he does it. Like, it's not something they... We don't, well, yeah, he doesn't mention that he does He resurrects his friends. He, he's kind of leaving everybody hanging. A little bit. It is kind of a dick move. What, what, what about us? Like... <laughs> yeah, but, but I think it's clear he, he has to. Otherwise, there's not really much of an oasis to govern over, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ju- just the economic downfall of the Oasis with everybody being dead and having to restart would be like suddenly his two hundred forty billion dollars gets cut in half for sure. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, you know it, the value of it, absolutely. So, I mean, he'd have to do some repairing, but that's boring shit. Like, we don't want to. You would want to write about that. We're at the we're at the good part of the book now. We're at the place where Chewie and Han and Leia and Luke are are coming up to stand on the podium to be given medals, except for Chewie. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like, forget the fact that lots of people died and tons of people were sacrificed. We're in that happy place now, aren't we? We're celebrating. And, and we're, we're, we're celebrating those handful of people who made it happen. It's, it, everyone else is just fucking details. Yeah. So I get that. I get that. We'd want to would want to write that in at this this sort of moment where he's like, okay, now to clean up this fucking place. <laughs> I'd like to think that he would eventually resurrect everybody. Maybe not right at first, but obviously, 
he's got a bit of a one-track mind. He's focused on Artemis, mm-hmm. who has uh, slid out the back door to avoid kind of... Go- she doesn't log back in with the rest of them. And he's like, I got to go see her. I got to log out. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to watch this video. <gasps> right, right. That's the point where you can see Sorrento being carted away. And they're playing clips of, of the chat channel where they're having that conversation right before he ends up blowing up the stacks, which is a great way to end it, which is, you know, he's getting caught. They're showing what happened. Justice is being served just as he wins the game, which is that, that sort of double whammy, right? Stop. You get the happy ending and the bad guy gets his ass carted away. Perfect timing, right? No, no, actually not fucking perfect timing. Perfect timing would have been like when he was fighting Sorrento in, in the Mecha Godzilla. Sure. But everybody was too busy watching the battle. So like, you know, you can imagine these cops being like, yeah, hold on, hold on a minute. I'm just going to, I want to watch this fat, but I want to watch this fight. But, but how and fucked up is that really? Like, like they already, it's not like he's committing a crime and doing the fight. The crime has already been committed. The police should be after his ass. And granted, it doesn't make for a good story, but could you, the police are like sitting there, they're watching in their, in their sets, they're kind of like, we'll go and nab him, but hold on a minute, let's see how this plays out. Like, yeah, we, know, we know where he is. We know where he is. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it really kind of played out almost like it was written for a movie. Right, right. Because if it was any more convenient, it would have been like, you know, the police nabbed, it would have it been like the end of... Um, <sighs> the end of that movie that I love so much. Uh, Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail. Mm. You know, where you come to that point where it's like there's the possible battle at, at the front of the castle, and then the police swoop in, and that's the end of the fucking movie. Yeah. That would have been great. That You know, if, if we... That might have... That might have <laughs> actually redeemed the, the movie of the Holy Grail. Would be if like the, the, the whole fucking battle, and then all of the giant robots on the bad guy's side, on IOI's side, fall over. And then cut to scene of them being pulled out by the police. And Parzival's like, well, let's press on. <laughs> Won that battle. Okay, anyhow. So he watches the, the news feed of Sorrento getting, getting pulled out. And the gist here is that, that they, they all admit, well, he's probably going to take this to court. He's got a lawyer representing. The lawyer's like... You know, this is obviously falsified. We're going to fight this in court. You know, he'll be out in a day, that kind of shit, right? And they're all saying, yeah, he'll probably get off scot-free. He's got a shitload of lawyers to get him out of jail really fast. So while this is justice, I kind of like how this is maybe a setup for a conflict with Sorrento in the next book. Yep. Sure sounds like that. Because as H points out, even though they can afford to hire the best lawyers in the world, Mm-hmm. So can they. End scene. End scene. Now, it is interesting, though. I, I like it. And this is something we hadn't touched on before, but I kind of like the idea of what law would be like in the Oasis. Because everyone could be a witness. Everyone could weigh in on this situation. It could be like you could be in court, and court could be like school in Ludus, where they reenact using flick sinks the crime situation they do these these uh crime reenactments uh, we've totally talked about this did we fucking talk about this yeah we, it was like law and order oasis edition oh okay well then you can cut this part out 
but but yeah, I, I would totally dig something like that where you could like see the murder weapon in front of you and you could see how it was used and see the trajectory of the bullet going through the body and how it splattered the pattern, all that shit and being in the room when it happened, that sort of thing. It would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. So we've got him coming out of his rig. We know where this is going. I'm I'm kind of sad of the fact that that we're moving that the next chapter isn't in the oasis. Yeah, this is the last this is our last moment in the oasis right here. This is the last moment for you and I in the oasis. Yeah. Try not to kill ourselves. No, no. There's no giant building to jump off of. But the nice part here is that he's he's moving from the oasis into reality, into into in real life, into IRL. Almost like he's being born. He's being resurrected into real life. I, I like the fact that, that emotion is driving him out of VR, whereas up to this point, it is emotion that has driven him into VR. It's been the drive and emotion to, to solve all of his world's problems with this prize, this emotion to, to visit his friends, you know, the only people that are close in his life being H and now these these other people that have come into his life. And now it is emotion that is driving him out of the haptic rig and into the real world. And that is and that is, I guess, where this ends. Yeah. So in wrap up, did you have any, oh. any tinfoil hat experiences here? Not really. This has just been so much of a let's tie things up in a neat little bow at this point in the book. Mm hmm. I did not see anything that we haven't already dissected. And I think I touched on the, the Parzival and Chalice bit. Maybe I should have left that for this part. But beyond that, though, everything seemed fairly obvious. But I really enjoyed this chapter because it, again, it harkened back to the stuff that I love about this book, which is not just the references, but it is the exploration of the game with the character and and thinking with the character what would i do and experiencing those moments together which i I feel like i didn't get to do enough but i really love doing it when it came up i'm sad that we're kind of done in the oasis because i i I just love that world Mm -hmm. i mean we'll get to it in the next chapter but man i mean it's just sad to see this book come to an end because I always, I always want to like whenever I finish it, it's like, all right, let's start over again. I, I don't know that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that's that. not going to happen this time around because I think, uh, I mean, generally, I I read or listen to each chapter in preparation for the podcast at least ten times. Right. So I kind of feel like I need a little bit of uh, a book. I need some time. A book break. A little time to to a little bit of a break away from it. Yeah. I hear you. And we'll, we'll find something else to, to break into because, uh, you know, get to the good parts about getting to the good part of a number of things. So I'm excited about what we're going to obsess over next. All right. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm in that sense, I'm looking forward to getting past the next chapter because we can crack into some cool new shit. All right. All right. Looking forward to it. Well, then let's wrap it up, man. Sure. Thank you for, that's not normally how I wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> This has been Get to the Good Part. I'm Chris. And this is Aaron. And we will catch you in the next episode. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs> One more chapter. One more chapter!
He, so he becomes kind of like the benevolent Thanos of iOS or, or uh, the Oasis. iOS. Uh, yeah. slip, slip, slip of the tongue. Sorry. My bad. 